welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, friends. I want to invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 3, if you have a Bible. A um, couple things before we jump in here. So uh, up until Christmas in December, uh, when, when Christmas is... <laughs> Uh, the last Sunday of the month, the kids are going to be with us, and we wanted to kind of give you guys just a, uh, a little taste of what happens next door. Um, we are huge fans of the fact that God is present in his, in his word, and uh, so our hope is we, we just tell the story and trust that God's in it, and uh, let the kids kind of respond how they, how they respond. So sometimes their favorite part's the snake, sometimes their favorite part is who knows what, uh, but it's, uh, it, oh, there's somebody's gum up here. Okay, that was mine. Can't get around it. Um, but if families, if you haven't gotten one of these yet and you want to, uh, the kids are going through the same thing we are, the Eat This Book series. So if you want to get these, uh, basically they, we give them these God's message sheets and then they can put their, their deals in here. So this is, oh, this is the Hubers. It looks great, guys. Love it. Way to go. So if you want to get one of these, talk to Kevin and Courtney afterwards, all right? Um, okay, so Exodus chapter 3, we are in... Uh, Week about five. Last week we talked about Joseph, Genesis 37 to 50, and this week we're going to talk about Moses. So if, you, uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, we're, we're trying to connect this thing to a timeline, and my hope is that when we're done with this series, when you read the Bible, you'll be able to like put it somewhere on the timeline. Knowing the trajectory, knowing the arc, knowing the kind of the broad brushstrokes of the story are huge. So uh, we've been through creation, Genesis 3, the deception of Adam and Eve, Genesis 4 to 11, the, the sort of go your own way, all the stories of humans going their own way. And then Genesis 12, we get, of course, Abraham. Uh, and then you get Isaac and Jacob, the famous Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, the story of Joseph was last week. It's Genesis 37 to 50. And kind of where we're jumping in now is Genesis ends and Exodus begins. And all of a sudden there's like millions, uh, hundreds of thousands, at least 600,000 Jewish men living in Egypt. And they've become this huge deal. And Pharaoh's getting a little antsy, right? And so we get sort of the, the, the slavery in Egypt, which ends up being 430 years at the end of it, when God calls Moses to let my people go, Pharaoh oh baby, let my people go. Okay. Right, thank you. Yeah. Let me just put that back there. I used to be a counselor at camp and I was in Colorado and these people had never really seen Minnesotans nor heard from them, right? You know, they all thought it was hilarious how I talked and so I taught them that there's actually another version to this song. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go. Oofta, yeah, sir, you betcha. Okay, it's terrible. Exodus chapter 3. Read with me, if you will, starting in verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord's... When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called from him within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering, and so I have come down to rescue them and bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship on this mountain. Moses says to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is who you are to say, the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Pray with me if you would. God, as we study your word, I pray that um, you would speak, that you would uh, um, become uh, alive to us in new and fresh ways. God, may the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, and I pray that your spirit would, uh, would do what I can't. Uh, which is draw people to you and see you face to face. So we pray for that. God's people said, amen. Uh, A lot of ground to cover, so we're going to just jump right in. I want to ask a couple of questions uh, about this text. The first is, what does it mean to be in the wilderness? What does it mean to be in the wilderness? Um, is Is it possible, or let me suggest the possibility, that when we read the scriptures, what we read are like physical locations that Moses may in fact very well Uh, was in the wilderness out in some sort of forsaken land out in the middle of nowhere. But also that when we read about geographic locations, whether it's Egypt, the wilderness, mountain of God, Horeb, whatever it is, that these are actually and also spiritual states, things that describe more than just a physical geographic location. So I want to ask the question, what is the wilderness? Because we read in the story, verse 1 tells us, Moses drives his father-in-law's flock out into the wilderness. Over and over and over and over again in the story of God, we will find as we read this story, that when people find themselves in the wilderness, often and, and likely, it's likely, that what's about to follow is, a, is a, uh, an extraordinary encounter with the living God. It happens again and again and again and again and again. And I want to suggest this morning that when we read things like this, wilderness, that we should pay attention to the fact that something is going on here. Just a little uh, word study. The word that's used here in Hebrew is midbar. It means wilderness. It's translated wilderness. There's another word for desert or wilderness that's often used, um, but it's not that one. It's a, it's a particular one. Um, the other one might be used to say like they were out in the Negev or they were out in some other kind of desert, but this one is a little different. The, uh, so the word is midbar, and midbar comes from the word deber. The root word is deber, and this word actually means to speak or the mouth or mouth or spoke. So in order to really get at what the wilderness is and this idea, if in fact the wilderness is more than just a geographic location, I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 16, if you would. Turn back into the left or flip on your phone. Genesis 16, this is a story of Hagar. If you remember, Hagar is the maidservant to Sarai. Sarai is the wife of Abram. God comes to Abram and says, leave your father, your country, your, your, your whole deal. Go to a land I will show you. I will bless you, make you a great nation. Essentially, I'm going to give you like more kids you can count. They're both old. Sarai is really old. They're both old, and this is not working out very well. You can do the math on that one and use your imagination how that went down. Um, 
So Sarai says, hey, why don't you grab uh, Hagar, my maidservant, and, you know, uh, maybe she might give you a son. Kids in the room. Um, so he does, and, and of course, Ishmael is born, and, and immediately Sarai, which I don't get, maybe you ladies could speak into this, you know, talk to me afterwards, she gets all upset and bent out of shape. You know, she tells Hagar, do this, and then when it happens, she gets all mad and bent out of shape. I don't get it. Pick it up in verse 7. It says this, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answers. Now to start, if you go back in the story, you will realize that Moses, I'm sorry, Abraham, Sarai, Hagar, the whole family, they're actually in a part of, the, uh, of south of Israel called the Negev. The Negev is a, a, a wilderness and desert of epic proportion. It's massive, right? So this is where this whole plot takes place. The author of this book wants to, I, I would suggest, this is my read on it, you can take it for what it's worth. I want to suggest is like waving red flags at you and I. Because Hagar is in the Negev, she's in the wilderness, she's in the desert, and the text says that she flees Sarai and goes into the wilderness, different word from this word that's translated the desert. She flees into the wilderness, and what's about to happen changes her forever. The angel of the Lord says to Hagar, where have you come from and where are you going? I want to suggest that the wilderness, if in fact it's not just a place, but it's a state of being, it's something that you and I can relate to. I want to suggest that the wilderness, the place where God speaks, but it's, 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 it's this place where you know where you've come from, but you have no idea where you are going. Right? Where you know where you've come from, you know what's happened, you know what's led to this point, but looking forward, it's like totally unclear. Up in the air. You're not sure if you'll land here or there. You're not sure what this means, whatever it is that's happening. This is a wilderness kind of experience. St. John of the Cross, if you've heard of him, uh, wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul, this thing where God invites, beckons, calls you into this dark night and then does something to you, in you, through you, for you. Similar, I would suggest, to the wilderness, these kinds of experiences couple of keys when we find ourselves here, if in fact maybe it's possible that some of you walked in the room this morning and you might have known where you've come from, but you're not sure where you're going. Uh, Hagar is asked a question by the Spirit. Where have you come from and where are you going? She only answers one of them, but she answers it with just brutal honesty. I want to offer, when we find ourselves in these kinds of places, you know those questions that like rattle around in your head? The ones that, that no one's actually asking in real time and space, but you can hear as clear as a bell. You all know what kinds of questions I'm talking about, right? These kinds of nagging sort of moments where you know that something, the spirit, God, whatever you call it, is asking a question of you. I want to I offer a possibility, or I want to offer an encouragement to answer the question and to do it with brutal honesty. Hagar asks, she's asked, where have you come from and where are you going? She has no idea where she's going, but she answers, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Hagar answers the question and then God speaks. This is a woman who's totally cast off. 
She's, she's the, the maid servant of Sarai. This whole thing goes down and she's essentially like cast off. She's overlooked, she's discarded and she's, she flees out into the desert. This is a woman who, has, who, is, who nobody sees, right? And she names the well that she's at, she names it this, this Hebrew word, it's Ber Lacharoi and it means the well of the living one who sees me. By the way, Avatar totally stole this from Genesis. Have you guys not seen Avatar? You know, I see you. You remember that moment? Oh, I see you. I see you. They stole it. That was way better in my head. If you haven't seen Avatar, it's a dynamite movie. It's so good. I recommend it. And then when you watch that part, you'll be like, oh my gosh, that's like Hagar, Genesis 16. Now, skip back to Exodus chapter three, right? Moses is in the wilderness, Hagar is in the wilderness. I want, when we find ourselves here, answer the question, be honest. Whatever God is prompting, whatever God is asking, whatever God is beckoning you, just be honest. Answer the question. But then what does Moses say when God speaks? We talked about this last week. It's all over these kinds of moments in the scripture. Does anybody remember this word? Hineni, right? Here I am, Abraham, and Isaac, when God says, take the boy, Abraham says, Hineni, here I am. When Samuel's called in the dreams, Samuel says, here I am, Hineni. When, um, when Joseph is sent by his father into this terrible situation where he's going to get thrown into a well, he says, Hineni, here I am. Little pattern, there's a pattern here if you're, if you're listening for it. When somebody says, Hineni, here I am. Like, all of me, I'm here vulnerable, open, just no front, no, no, nothing between just here I am. You know those kinds of moments? When somebody says that in the scriptures, over and over and over again, God speaks. God shows God. There, there is an encounter with the living God. So if it's possible that you've come here today and you found yourself in the wilderness, you know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. Can I encourage you? Answer the question. Whatever God is doing in you, through you, speaking, whatever that nagging kind of thing that you hear but nobody else hears, answer the question. And, and if we can position ourselves in such a way where we just say, okay, God, here I am, Hineni. God speaks again and again and again. I, I'm not going to give you like a guarantee money back kind of deal, but if we read the story, God speaks over and over and over again in these moments. So Moses drives this flock out to the wilderness and he arrives at the mountain of God, also known as Horeb. Now, every now and again, I find something in the scriptures that I, I literally like laugh out loud when I find it. The name Horeb, which is equated to the mountain of God in this story, can actually be translated destruction. <laughs> so Moses shows up at the mountain of God like, whoa! You know, think uh, Charlton Heston. It's like this huge moment, you know, like something's about to happen. And the word that is used here, Horeb, actually means destruction. <laughs> I, just, I love that. You can't make it up. Often when we have encounters with the living God, it feels a bit like something in us is being destroyed. Yeah? Uh, friends, you... Certainly not me. No, all of us, me. Like, I am not who I should be. I'm not the person that God had in mind when God conceived me. Uh, we are all broken 
what is it, jars of clay, I think one, one, you get the point, right? We're all a bit short of who we should be and what we could be. So when we have an encounter with God, is it any wonder that things begin to, and, and God in God's way, like a loving mother or a loving father, begins to wash away, sometimes cut away, sometimes burn away, sometimes the things that are not of us, the things that are not, they're, they're not the truest sense of who you are. So when we arrive at these moments and we ha- we're about to have an encounter with the living God, sometimes, I think for Moses, it, it feels a bit like destruction. Uh, and, and remember what happens in the story. Moses is like, well, I don't know if I could do this. I don't know if I should, blah, 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 but, but if I don't this and that. And God begins to just peel back the layers to get down to who Moses truly is. And I wonder if sometimes we fear that. I wonder if sometimes we actually, we actually hesitate or create uh, diversions or, uh, you know, like roadblocks of our own making when we're approaching those moments or those places or those mountain of God kinds of experiences because that's scary. That is a frightening situation to be totally exposed before God. But I want to suggest that the God in this story, over and over and over and over again, if we learn anything from doing this, we'll find that God is consistently gracious and loving and always, always, always draws out the most true, the most beautiful, the, the best, the essence of who you are. This is what's in God's heart for you and for I. And so, stand there in the light, right? Don't, try to get out of the light. If I, they, the kids have a God is wall over there, and uh, if I had one that I were going to put up their kids, I would say that God is the light turner honor guy. Like, he just turns on the lights. And whatever's real, whatever's there. And sometimes we have a tendency to want to, like, shirk away from that and to slink back into the dark. And I just want to encourage you, if we read this story for what it's worth, you're, you're going to be okay. Let God do what God will do. So Moses drives this flock out to the wilderness. He, he meets God at the mountain, also known as destruction. And then for Moses, uh, I want to I just, just tease this out a little bit, that for Moses, he's a shepherd, right? He drives this... This guy is ordinary, like absolutely 100% ordinary. He's no different than you and I. I'm guessing that he woke up that morning, he had something to eat, he probably went to the bathroom, he put whatever clothes and shoes or footwear that he was wearing on himself, and he walked with a staff out of his tent into a group of animals that were uh, uh, sheep and goats and whatever else, like dumb animals. This is absolutely, totally, and utterly normal and ordinary, and in a moment, it becomes unimaginable and extraordinary. Ordinary doesn't get a lot of play in our culture, right? Like, when you watch the TV, when you watch the movies, when you read something uh, uh, at the magazine aisle, which, by the way, don't do that. It just, it's not a good idea, okay? It's totally fake. They're not that big. They don't look that good. It's not real, okay? Um, Ordinary doesn't get a lot of play in our culture. And then we, 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 
we put ourselves up against this. We compare ourselves to, to, to whatever it is that that is, right? The extraordinary, the story. I mean, who gets on Extreme Makeover? People like me? No. People like you? No. It's the people who have like 12 kids and, you know, some, you know, fatal thing has happened and everybody's like, oh my gosh, yeah, let's build them a house, right? It's the extraordinary. And then we compare ourselves to that and we think that if God's going to show up, if God's going to do something, if God's going to speak, if God's going to say something and interact with me, it's going to be like writing on the wall, something in the clouds, you know, like the big, huge plane with the banner saying lumber liquidators, except it's going to say like, God is in it for you today, you know, and it's going to have your name on it. Can I just like free you, me, us, up to the possibility, and, and, and I think the reality that God is in the absolutely ordinary, everyday kinds of moments. Because what happens with Moses? Uh, he sees this bush that's on fire, an angel of the Lord appears and speaks, and Moses, he says, I, he stops, and he turns his attention to what's happening, and then what does your text say? There's a massive shift that we, that we skip, that we miss sometimes. The angel of the Lord shows up in the flames and the fire, speaks, Moses turns his attention, and then what happens next? God speaks. Did you notice the shift? First an angel shows up, and when Moses stops, looks, collaborates and listens, when... <laughs> Ice is back with the brain. Oh, sorry. X Factor. Somebody actually did that for an audition on X Factor, and they loved it. I'm like, I could do that. Stop collaborating. So when Moses stops and turns his attention, then God speaks. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, yeah, it was a burning bush that wasn't being consumed. That's pretty extraordinary. I was actually studying with a rabbi. And this is, a, this is a minority report, so you take it for what it's worth. But he said, uh, he said, so in the desert in Israel, there are these bushes that actually excrete, uh, under extreme heat, they actually excrete this uh, liquid. It's like an oil, and it's highly flammable. And so put two and two together, right? You have these bushes out in the middle of the, the Negev, the desert, that excrete this highly flammable oil. And uh, so the idea of one of these things just kind of like spontaneously combusting is not that extraordinary. In fact, it may have been commonplace, which changes things a little bit. But I want to suggest, I want to free us up, I want to invite us to the possibility that when God speaks, when God shows up, which is a bad way to say it, but you know what I'm saying, uh, that it's in the ordinary. It's in the everyday moments that you and I have if we have eyes to see it and ears to hear it. And when we turn our attention, and we stop, this is where God speaks. This is when God speaks. So Moses drives these people out, in the, the, the flock into the wilderness. He sets up shop at the mountain of destruction. He sees this bush. That, uh, an ordinary day becomes totally unimaginable. And then, and I want to just end here and camp here. Um, God tells Moses, go and get these people out. And Moses says, so, um, okay, I'm going to go to like the most powerful group of people on the planet and I'm a shepherd and these are my sheep and uh, I'm going to go and say, hey, you know what? If you could let these people go, um, in the event that they ask me like who sent you or why should I bother listening to you, like what should I say to them? 
Or you could say it differently. Moses says to God, what's your name? Does anyone else find it ironic that Moses, like fifth grandson generation, I don't actually know the, the, the number, but a direct line from Abraham, the guy who receives the promise that, that these will be my people and I will make a great nation out of you. Moses, the direct descendant of Abraham, has to ask, what is your name? And what does God say? Aye, asher, aye. I am what I am or I will be what I will be. So God, in responding to Moses' question, like, who are you? What's your name? conjugates the, the, the verb to be in the first person. So God's, according to God, God's essence is ongoing action. Right, we've talked about this. God is not a noun that we describe. God is not an object or, or a subject that we, uh, we describe or talk about but rather God presents God's self as an action to be experienced, an ongoing thing. Couple of, uh, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking a little bit about this, this sort of chasm between belief and truth. Belief is, yeah, okay, I believe that, that that story is true or this is true about God or whatever. And yeah, that's true. Trust is this like stepping, you guys remember Indiana Jones? Yeah, totally cheesy illustration, but you know, he, he can't see the deal and he has to trust that it's there and he takes a step. Right? Belief is, yeah, I believe that thing's there even though I can't see it. That's belief. Trust is this and actually stepping. And I want to invite us, as we read this story, Moses, he walks out into the wilderness, this place where God speaks. He meets with God at this mountain called destruction, and God cuts away, peels back, shapes, if Moses is willing, and he is. This ordinary day becomes this unbelievable encounter with the living God, and Moses experiences God. Moses actually encounters and relates to and experiences the God who presents God's self as action, as this verb to be. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. I ask a lot of questions when I teach, if you, didn't, if you haven't gotten that yet. Um, and, I, and it's here's why. I recognize that we all come in this room from all different kinds of places every week and that I don't have all the answers. Uh, I don't presume to, but I totally 100% believe that the spirit of God is at work in all of our lives to one degree or another. And so we've been sort of uh, coming back to this whole like belief and trust thing. And just the other day I had a conversation with somebody and they're like, you know, I've been thinking about this idea that like it's not what you know, but what you do with what you know. And I've been thinking this for like weeks and months and months and months. And then you said something. You said, it's like belief and trust. And belief's not enough. Trust, like stepping out. And it was like, click. And it fell into place. And I recognized that God was doing something in and through this thing that kept happening in my head. And then it was like the, 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 the coming together of these two, I just believe that that's possible and, and going on whenever we get together. And so I want to offer a few questions this morning. What does it mean to be in the wilderness? And are you there? And what do you do? What does it mean to stand before a God who it feels like could destroy?
And, and if you were to stand at, before God, at the mountain of God, so to speak, not a geographic location, but a, a place, a, a, a spiritual state, what would God say to you? What would God want and need to do? Do we, do we trust this God that we can only know in responding to and with action? Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.